Uh, last week, our brother Manuel preached from the last part of the chapter 2, and now we're coming into uh, chapter 3, and we'll be looking at the first uh, nine verses of uh, chapter 3. The sermon is titled, Next Level Spiritual Growth. Uh, I I, I smile when I think of next level. Next level apparently is, 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 a, is a word that we all like. We all want to get the next level. We, we all want the next iPhone. We all want the next car. We all want the next level. But do we want the next level within our uh, spiritual growth? We've been going through this series in, in, in Corinthians, and if you haven't managed to be here for the other ones, you can catch them all online. They're all there on, on our website, and if you have missed any, I would encourage you to fill in the blanks so that you can see how this letter progresses through, because it is joined up together. It's not just little random thoughts here or there. It's not just little stories here and there. It is a letter. It's a letter continuing through from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Now, as we're speaking to the young men, little boys, we see progression there, don't we? Miles once was a baby, and now he's that little character of his own. And we can remember Zion when he was a baby too. And now he's full of energy and running around in life. And we've seen Lemuel progress, haven't we, and grow. And from someone who would be at the front and wouldn't say anything, and, and now he's coming up with great answers that, well, interesting answers, sometimes stump the children's talk. And it's great to see this development, isn't it? It's great to see this growth. And we'll be really concerned if the babies that we gave thanks for here stayed as babies. Could you, could you imagine that? It's just not natural. It's just not right. Growth is, is something that's so important to life. We, we watch our babies and we look out for our children and we want to make sure that they are growing. And if they are not growing, if they're not developing, it's concerning us. And we, we want to work out why not. Your lecturers and tutors are wanting to see you grow academically. It's not because they don't like you that they set exams. It might feel like that, but they're testing. They're testing to see how you are growing, how you are developing. And throughout your university experience, you will be tested. And the idea is that when you started, you didn't know so much. And by the time at the end, you've become an expert. And you know a lot more in that field. And you are growing in that way. Growth is important. And if neither of those two have resonated, if neither of those two have made much in your mind, well, when your phone pings and you get a notification to say that you've got another follower, you get excited because your influence is growing. Your circle of friends is growing. Growth is something that is so natural, so important to life. But spiritually speaking, growth is vitally important. And the Apostle Paul was very concerned about the Corinthian church. He didn't just want to establish a church and leave it. He wanted this church to be a church of people who were growing spiritually. And this little section we have here is particularly around spiritual growth. 
And so I want us to, to think about these Corinthians, how they were at one level spiritually, and how the Apostle Paul was wanting them to reach the next level. And, and to grow spiritually, to, to reach the next level spiritually, you need the right food. That, that's our first point for this morning. You need the right food. And we can see this and we'll follow this through in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter 3. But before we go to those verses, uh, we, we read them, so they should be there in your mind. Please have your Bibles open or your, or your devices on with that ready. If you've got devices, make sure that they're not going to do any other distracting. So switch off what you need to, put on flight mode. Devices or Bibles open in chapter 3. We're looking at verses 1 and 2. You've all had school reports, I'm sure. Pastor Andrew's got some exceptional school reports from his giggling there. But I, I, I can imagine, or I want you to imagine, that you've got a school report, or one of your school reports you had. And maybe there's a part of that report that you're a little bit embarrassed by. I, I don't know if that's happened to you. I, I will confess, I had a French teacher who liked me dearly and reported kindly back to my parents, something along these lines, James daydreams. He wakes up with a start and finds French difficult. Uh, a bit embarrassing. But this is, is where we're at. So I just want you to think about your school reports. And maybe there was something that you didn't do so well in. Uh, an exam that you didn't do so well in, or maybe you had a bit of a bad attitude and that's reported there. Maybe you had an attendance record problem. Now, you've got that in your mind's eye now, that, that embarrassing school report. How would you feel then if we just put that school report on the screen and read it out for everybody to hear? You'd be really embarrassed by that, wouldn't you? And you see, this in some ways is how the Corinthians were feeling because in some ways this letter of Corinthians is like a school report, a church report to the Corinthians. And he is saying some very, very open things to them. And he's reporting back to them what he's heard. And the first few verses of this chapter 3 are like a spiritual report card for these Corinthians. It was four years since Paul had been at Corinth. It's four years since he was preaching there. And, and when he first went there, he, he preached the gospel simply to them. We read about that uh, the other day in, in chapter 1, ch sorry, chapter 2. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, uh, no, sorry, sorry let's, let's come back just a second. In this chapter here, he said, but brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, uh, fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And so Paul is saying that when he was originally with them, when he was originally there with them, as, as that new church, he was speaking to them, and he was speaking to them very simply, not with solid food, as that illustration is, but with milk. You saw the pictures earlier of the, of the, of the baby, and the baby was eating the uh, mush and, and the milk, 
and, and the, the, ch the children to grow would need solid food, and adults need solid food. And Paul is saying to these people, when I first came to you, when I was addressing to you there back then, four years ago, I, I, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, and I fed you with milk. When he first went there, he was speaking very, very simply to them. And that's reflected in chapter 2 and verse 1. Because in chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul is also saying to them, And when I came to you, brothers, did I did, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The simple baby milk, if you like, was him bringing the gospel to these people. And he brought these gospel to the people. He didn't do it in, in lofty words. He didn't do it in amazing rhetoric. He didn't do it with great wisdom or philosophy of the time. He just simply proclaimed to them that they needed Jesus Christ as their Savior. He just simply proclaimed to them that they should be trusting in Jesus who died on the cross for their sins. He simply told them that they needed to trust in the risen Savior who paid the price for the sins of his people. It was milk, if you like. It was simple. This is what Paul did. And, and we have to remember this, and we mustn't forget this. These people were radically changed by the gospel. Corinth, as we have heard about in our first uh, sermon on this subject. We, we looked at the city of Corinth and we thought what it was like. It was like, it was like Lefkosia in many ways, but worse. It was like Las Vegas in many ways, but worse. It's like a big city of sin. And if we go forward in, in the book to chapter 6, it explains what these people were like. In chapter 6 and verse 9, just cutting in there a little bit, it says these people, they were sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revelers, and swindlers. Now, all of those will not inherit the kingdom of God, and we know that. And then it says, and such were some of you. This simple baby milk changed these people radically. God used it through the power of the Holy Spirit to change these people to change them from sexually immoral idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals and thieves and greedy and drunkards and revelers and swindlers and swindlers if you want. We'll just put Yahoo boys there. That's what a swindler is. 2,000 years ago, these people were doing that. Yeah, Nothing's changed. And the gospel hasn't changed. And this baby milk, if you like, this simply teaching and preaching and proclaiming Christ and Christ crucified changed these people. Verse 11, and such were some as you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. These people, these brothers and sisters, were truly saved. They're true brothers and sisters in Christ. And they'd been radically changed, but there's a problem. There's a problem. And, and Paul is bringing this problem to them. And this is the report card. He's saying to them, look, there is a problem. I'm coming to you. 
And when I came to you, I had to bring you the baby food because that's where you were at spiritually. And yes, God worked dramatically and you were changed. And and, and big changes happened in your life. But in verse 3, he's saying, look, even now you are not ready. Even now you're not ready for what? Well, Paul was saying that their spiritual food should have been changing. They shouldn't just be having milk. They should be getting on to, to solids. But they weren't. That They weren't ready for it. They'd not grown up enough to enjoy spiritually solid food. Four years on, and they still were needing the gospel. They were still needing the baby stuff. They weren't getting stuck into it. And the picture language that, that Paul uses here is vivid, and we can understand it. A baby eats baby food. Now, I, I, not for a moment did they get their baby food out of the jars and put it in a microwave. That wasn't what was happening then. But it was the same mushy stuff in the pot as what they'd got in the bowl. It had been crushed up and given to them. It wasn't solid. And, and it was perfectly good for a baby and nutritious for a baby. But it's not what adults need. It's not what adults need to grow. And so Paul is saying to these Corinthians, it's four years on, and I'm coming to you now, and you're still eating baby food. And you can't take solid food because you haven't grown. They hadn't grown. And so there's this tension going on here. We read a passage in Hebrews that reflects this idea and this notion, and it's, I think it's a good indication that it was the Apostle Paul that probably wrote the book of Hebrews, although people will debate that because he comes back to this same analogy. In chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, you need milk, not solid food. He's speaking to the Hebrews. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment, trained by, trained by consistent practice to distinguish good from evil. So the people at Corinth were no different to these Hebrews that Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, was saying. He was saying to them, you need milk. You can't, you can't take solid food. You can't take solid food because you are not mature yet. You haven't got there yet. You still need this milk. And so we have a a chicken and egg thing going on here. To be able to take the solid food, you need to grow. And to be able to grow, you need to take the solid food. You see, your spiritual diet is vitally important to your spiritual growth. If we kept feeding a baby baby food, there'd be no growth. The baby wouldn't grow. It wouldn't do very well. It wouldn't thrive. It needs, it needs to get the nutrients. If there's an imbalanced diet, there's no growth. Lots of children love sugary and sweet things. I certainly did. And I would have liked my mother to have fed me cake and biscuits and desserts and cake and chocolate and sweets and dessert. And You get the picture, yes? But I'd never have gotten to be this tall if I hadn't. 
It wouldn't have done me any good. And so my mother knew that I needed a balanced diet. And without a balanced diet, there is no growth. Sporadic feeding can be a problem too. If someone eats loads all of a sudden and then has uh, uh, days and days of fast, it doesn't do you good. It doesn't do you good. There's no real growth. And, and for some of you, that's what you're like. You have a huge feast of spiritual food on Sunday and you fill yourself up like a glutton and then you go home and you starve yourself for the week. And, and you wonder why you're not growing spiritually. And, and there can be a problem of having no appetite for real food, like that child. They don't want to eat the, the beans. They don't want to eat the vegetables. They don't want to eat the meat because their appetite is for sweet things that they like. And that can happen within our Christian life too, can't it? No real appetite for real food, real growth. Perhaps you don't just binge on Sunday. Perhaps you, through the week, read your Bible, but you never get out of Psalms. There's always a Psalm that makes you feel comfortable. There's always a Psalm that makes you feel happy. No appetite for real food. You see, not getting the right spiritual food can come about for a few reasons. And I just want to give a few practical examples of, of, of the reasons of why we might not get the right spiritual food. If you are not reading and praying yourself as a believer, you will not be getting the right food. You, you won't be growing. It's essential for you to get your food every day. And so reading and praying yourself is vitally important. But it's not just reading and praying yourself, like I said, because if you've not got the appetite for real food and you're just looking at your favorite passages and always going back to that same point, that's not going to help you. You need a diversity. So you need to be reading daily, but you need to be reading consecutively, going through God's word over a period of time. Pastor Andrew advocates, and I would stand beside him, reading through the, the God's word on an annual basis each year. And maybe that's too much for it. You can do it over two years. There's lots of plans that can help you do this thing. But if you're not reading and praying yourself, you won't be getting the right spiritual food. And if you're not getting the right spiritual food, you won't be growing spiritually. Not in a church that teaches and preaches well. There's, there's lots of churches that have great gatherings. There's lots of churches that have lots of social things going on. There's lots of churches that will allow you to sweat and dance and, and, and have an emotional high. But if that church is not preaching and teaching God's word, you're not going to get spiritually fed. To get spiritual food, you need to put yourself in a church where they will feed you God's word. And they won't be ashamed of feeding you God's word. They will read God's word. They will preach God's word. And with God's help, they will preach and teach it well. But from this passage, we also see something else that's really important and what we're going to develop further in our thoughts as it develops in, in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You see... Spiritual appetite can be broken because something else gets in the way. 
A spiritual appetite can be broken because something else gets in the way. And this was a big problem for the brothers and sisters at Corinth. There was something getting in the way of their appetite for solid foods. Solid food is what they needed. Good, solid, biblical teaching to grow on is what they needed. But there was a barrier. And so we're going to move on to our second point. Our first point, just to remind you, was saying that you need the right food. And then moving on from reading the right food, you need to remove all barriers. You need to remove all barriers. I've just said there was a barrier getting in the way. And Paul thought that those at Corinth should have grown more. He'd been there four years ago. And now they're still needing the same sort of teaching. And what's going wrong? And why aren't they growing in this way? There was a huge growth initially, a huge growth that changed them from those that were involved in that great list of sins. But something wasn't happening. Something wasn't going. And just like a parent that was con- would be concerned if their child wasn't developing, so was Paul. This church was like children to him. And he's, he's looking on, he was hearing on, and getting reports. And these people weren't growing. And, and they weren't able to have that solid food. And there was a, there was a problem. And so if, if a parent sees their child not growing, if the parent sees their child struggling to develop, they go to the doctor. And, and, and the doctor would look on, and the doctor would make observations, and the doctor would do tests, and the doctor would make a diagnosis as to why that child was not growing. And a recommendation will be made, and hopefully help will be given, and they'll be looking and seeing the child grow after that, and there'll be excitement. And you see, the Apostle Paul, just like a doctor, he makes a diagnosis. And this is the assessment of his situation. This is his report card of the situation. He carries on to them. He's told them they're not growing. He's told them they're not taking the food that they need. And then he says, this is why, verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So in these two verses, He sets out four times, four times what the problem is. He says they're behaving in a a carnal way, as one of the translation puts it, in a worldly way, in a a fleshy way, in a human way. It says there at the very beginning of the verse, for you are still of the flesh. And then he says, are you not of the flesh? And he says you're behaving in a human way. Three times in the one verse. And then verse 4, at the end, he says, Are you not merely being human? Now, these are brothers and sisters in Christ who've been made spiritually alive. They've been saved. And we have that list of things that they've been saved from, and all that sin and debauchery and mess. And so they're saved. But in this particular area, they're not behaving like they were saved. They were behaving in a fleshy way. They were behaving in a human way. And Paul is not talking to them as unbelievers. They are brothers. He says that there in that verse. He calls them brothers. Now Paul is not teaching 
a doctrine of a carnal Christian. And, and some of you may have heard this, and if you have, I just want to stop for a moment, and if you haven't, thank God, and just leave it. But some people say that there's such a thing as a carnal Christian. And, and that is someone who's been saved, but living a very sinful life. But they're saved. Because they, they, they made a decision. They're saved because some event happened. But they're not living a close life to God. They're not living a spiritual life. And, and, and so some people say there's two sort of types of Christians. A carnal Christian and, and an on-fire Christian. A carnal Christian and, and a full-on Christian. No, that, that, that's not what Paul is teaching. It's not two things. This is not something to be going for. This is a problem. Paul is saying there is a problem here. He's not confirming their attitude as Christians. He's not confirming their Christian walk. He's saying there is a big problem here. And the problem that you have, the problem is this. You are not growing, and you're not growing because you're still of the flesh. And, and you're, are you not of the flesh? And you're in a human way, and, and you're merely going a, your own way. And, and the big problem is this. He's already set it out. It's been spelled out in chapter 1 and verse 11. Chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12, he said to them, he said, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And then in this verse 3, he says, There is jealousy and strife among you. These people should have been spiritually minded. These people should have had the mind of Christ, as we read in the end of chapter 2 and verse 16, about having Christ's mind, but it's not there. These people should have been growing spiritually. But they're not. And then there's a barrier that's stopping these people from growing spiritually. And the barrier is sin. Sin has gotten into the fabric of this church family. And it's stopped spiritual growth. And this is so important for us to understand. Yeah? It's so, so important for us to get our minds around what is going on here. These people were saved. These people were saved dramatically. They've been changed. And yet there's a problem. And the problem among them is seen in the fact that there is jealousy and strife among them. There is quarreling. And this jealousy and this strife and this quarreling is breaking the unity of the church. And this sin is a barrier to spiritual growth. That's some report card, isn't it? This is hard stuff that Paul is saying to them. And why is he saying this? Because he's concerned about them. He wants them to grow. Can you imagine that young couple, well-meaning, mom and dad, and then their little baby, and their baby's not growing. And, and they're concerned, and they've took the baby to the doctor, and, and the doctor's run some tests and asked lots of questions. And he says to the mom and dad, the problem is yours. You are feeding the child what it wants, and not what it needs. And how would the parents feel? Well, they'd feel upset, but they'd want to do something about it, because they'd want their child to grow. And I'm sure as the Corinthians heard this, they'd be thinking to themselves, the problem is ours. The problem is real. The problem is we haven't been behaving as we should have been, and this has got in the way, and this has messed us up, and we're not growing spiritually. Division, quarreling, jealousy, 
Strife within a church will stop spiritual growth. It will stop spiritual growth. It will grieve the Holy Spirit. And then the church won't grow. Sin within the church grieves the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the agent for our growth. And so there's a barrier. And this barrier is sin. Sin within the church will stop spiritual growth. And sin within your own life will stop your own personal spiritual growth. So if the Apostle Paul was looking on LPC now, would he see spiritual growth? Or would he see some malnourished, stunted growth? What would his report card look for us? And then much more personally, if Paul was writing a report card for you, if he just mirrored you for the last week, the last fortnight, and, and took notes of your situation, would he see spiritual growth in your life? Or, or would he see malnourished, stunted growth, or no growth at all? This is a serious question that we should be asking ourselves. It's a serious question we should be asking the Holy Spirit to help us with. As elders of the church here, we have a responsibility and a privilege to pray over the flock, to pray over the members. And, and as we do so, that there's a good number of brothers and sisters in Christ here, and we're giving thanks to the Lord for your spiritual growth. We see spiritual growth here. Praise God at Left Coast of Protestant Church. We are seeing spiritual growth in some of you. And as elders, we, we thank God for that. And we praise God for that. But it has to be said, and it would be unfaithful if I didn't, we also observe that for some of you, your spiritual growth seems to have stopped or it's stunted. Once upon a time you were at every meeting possible and, and now you can barely make it on a Sunday. Once upon a time you were, you were full of questions and, and spiritual energy. On Sunday evening, you'll be there at the Zoom meeting and you'll be sharing your take-home and you'll be involved in the discussion and now you're just, well, where are you? Once you were getting involved in serving in, in different areas and you could always be dependent on and you were always there and you were looking to help and you were sharing and caring and, and now you just sort of vanished. Once on a Tuesday evening, you were eagerly leading us in prayer for revival, bringing your friends before the throne of grace. And for some of you, you once would have been here in person, and you're not. And maybe the reason that you are not, and maybe the reason you're catching up online now, is because you couldn't get out of bed because of last night's party. 
or you put more priority on your studies than Christ. And as elders, we are praying. We are praying to see you grow spiritually, all of you. And we praise God for those of you that aren't, for those of you that are, sorry. And we challenge those of you that are not in the same vein as the Apostle Paul charged those Corinthians back then. What is the barrier? What is getting in the way? You see, when I don't see spiritual growth in my own life, I have to ask the question, where is the barrier? What is getting in the way? Is there sin there? Is there sin that needs rooting out? And when I look on a congregation, when I look on our people here, and I see that there's no growth, the same question that I ask myself, I ask of you. What sin is the barrier in your life? What is stopping you from spiritually growing? What is getting in the way? What is stopping you from being what you were or becoming what you can become in Christ? And so this morning I want to challenge you to examine yourselves. Examine yourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit and ask yourself that hugely important question. If you're a believer here, if you're identifying as a Christian, if you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as as your Savior, ask yourself, am I growing spiritually? Have I grown spiritually over this last semester? Have I grown spiritually over this last year? Am I growing spiritually? Is there a change? Am I hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Am I seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Am I showing the fruit of the Spirit? Is there change? Is there things happening? Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you personally of any sin that's causing a barrier. And friends, as a church, we need to ask that same question. We want to be growing, don't we? We want to be growing spiritually. We also want to be growing numerically. We also want to be a church that's that's growing and seeing people come in. And maybe the reason those growth, that growth is not happening in this moment is because collectively as a church there is sin. We need to repent of it. We need the Holy Spirit to show it to us because we need to grow because sin can cause a barrier. And stop growth. And just as it's heavy for the Corinthians, we need to take this seriously. Because do you want to stay as spiritual babies all your lives? No, you don't. The very fact that you don't is a sign of spiritual life. And if you're sat here unaffected, if you're sat here thinking it's going to be time to go home soon, then you are in the worst place ever. But if you're sat here concerned, praise God, that concern is the work of the Holy Spirit. Go to God. Ask the Spirit to help. And let let us individually and collectively as a church examine ourselves and go forward. And so for spiritual growth, We need to remove all barriers. But thirdly, we also need, and we see this in this passage, to have a right attitude to your pastors. 
Now, now bear with me here. This is not saying please be nice to Pastor James and bring him offerings and gifts and things like that. That's not what the attitude is that we're talking about here. Looking at verse 5 particularly, you need a right attitude to your pastors. Earlier in this series, I think it was right at the very beginning, I asked you the question, who is your favorite celebrity pastor? Who is the pastor you're following on, on YouTube? Who is the pastor that you are, that you are idolizing? Who is the pastor you're buying the books of or listening to the, the, the clips of? Well, today I changed the question. I changed the question like this. Hypothetically, if you could choose any pastor... And because it's hypothetically, you can have dead or alive, which will please Pastor Andrew. Other than Jesus, who would you want your pastor to be? So the hypothetical question is, if you could choose any pastor, dead or alive, other than Jesus, who would that be? Who would you want? If you ask the, the Corinthians that same question, and, and they had a top ten, I know that Paul and Apollos would have been in that top ten. Maybe even in the top one and two, I don't know. Maybe there was someone else. Perhaps someone said, no, we want Moses. I don't know. But they, they'd have been up there. Paul and Apollos would have been up there. Because the Lord had used these men in their salvation. Verse 5, the second part of it says, The servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. The Corinthians have been blessed to have Apollos and Paul as their pastors. And then these pastors, as it says in this passage here, had different roles. They had different roles. Paul was particularly emphasized on preaching the gospel at Corinth. And Apollos went on and, and watered, and he built on Paul's gospel preaching. But there's a problem. That their immaturity... And, and lack of growth meant that the very thing that should have been a blessing to them, the very thing that should have been a blessing to their pastors, is the very thing that they're quarreling over. Do you get that? That the pastors should have been a blessing to them. But because they weren't growing spiritually, that is the very thing that they're fighting over. Look at, look at what the devil's doing. I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. And in the church meeting, in the church building, there's divisions going on. There were the Paul followers, and there were, there were Apollos followers. And then early in the passage, we also had a few others as well. We had the sanctimonious ones. We are followers of Christ. We are better than them. And then there's the followers of Peter. And they're all broken down, and it's all messed up. And the very thing that God had given to the church, the elders, the pastors, the preachers, the very thing that God had given to his church is the very thing that the devil was using to cause disunity. Their, their, their sin that was there was so messed up that they were thinking they were righteous. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And they were bickering and fighting over whose pastor was the best. Oh, Paul preaches much better than Apollos. He's like a little dynamite in the pulpit. Oh no, Apollos' arguments are just so polished. He could, he could argue any of the philosophers. Ah, Paul's handkerchief. He does better miracles. And then you can imagine this argument going on between them. Oh, Paul is much more orthodox. He understands the Jewish culture much better. He's got a much better grip on the, on the Hebrew Bible. And, and, and Apollos, hasn't got it. Apollos does this, and it goes backwards and forth. Who has the most followers? 
It's like the child in the playground, isn't it? Arguing, my dad's bigger than your dad. This is where the church was at. And it's tragic because the very thing that God had given to them to be a blessing, the very thing that God had given to them to, to bring them into the kingdom was the very thing that the devil had used to cause upset. And that should teach us something, shouldn't it? How divisive the devil is. And in all of this, God's glory was being robbed. God's glory was being robbed because they were making it all about the man. They were making it all about Paul. They were making it all about Apollos. They were making it all about Peter. They were, they were, they were putting it in the wrong way. And as they were making it all about man, they were stunting the spiritual growth of the church. They weren't able to get the deep doctrine. They weren't able to grow. They were impeding their own spiritual growth. And at worst, the unity of the church was in peril. And then they were splitting the church, and they should be one in Christ. And they weren't one in Christ. Some were of Peter and some were of Apollos. And it was a mess. And Paul points out and says, this is a mess. It's wrong. You're not growing. You're not going to grow in this way. And we can all see where the application is going, can't we? Because although this was 2,000 years ago, it is happening right now all around the world. There are people that will fight for the honor of their prophet, their man, their pastor, their preacher, won't they? That the, the man or the woman has become the ministry. That their website, their Facebook, their buildings, what is all over it is the picture of themselves. Their shining white teeth, their bright gleaming eyes, their expensive watches, their shining apparel, or whatever it is. And, and, and we see it supercharged on social media, don't we? If you've got an Instagram feed and you, if you've got anything of a Christian felt there, you will see these people popping up at you. And tragically, we see it as a miniature in local churches. Huge visuals of the pastor. Instagrammable quotes and tweets. And friends, we have to come back to this. The church is God's church, not man's. And the Corinthians were getting in a mess because they were going after Paul, they were going after Apollos, and it's not man's. And in verse 9, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. That's Paul speaking about himself and Apollos. And he looks on the congregation, he looks out to the people there, and he says, You are God's field, God's building. God gives us his fellow workers. God gives us Paul's and Apollos's so for our spiritual growth. And that's our attitude. That's what our attitude should be. We should treat our pastors and our preachers as those that God has put there for our spiritual growth. Not to worship, not to extol, not to venerate, but to realize that these men have been put into those positions of authority and been put into those positions of a preaching role so that the church can get built. Those people are God's. They're not their own. 
it's interesting, isn't it, how I just said that. Those people are gods. You have to get the, 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 uh, the, the writing of that properly. They're not gods themselves. They are God's workers in his vineyard. And God gives them to us. And if we treat those people as gods, then we've got it wrong, badly wrong. It'll become a mess. You see, these men are for our spiritual growth. And it's a tragedy when they become an object of our division. And so how do we stop that from happening? Now that's the question, isn't it? How do we stop that from happening? We, we see here that we need a right attitude to our pastors. How do we get these things right? And I'm going to come to the, the last point, and, and probably the most important point of all, and the point that gives us hope in this situation, the point that gave the Corinthians hope. And that's for spiritual growth. You need God to give the growth. The spiritual growth, you need God to give the growth. Verses 6 and 7. You may have been wondering, why didn't I come to the most important part first? We needed to hear the diagnosis first. We needed to hear the rot first. And, and now we're here, it can be all the more meaningful to us. I love the way Paul asks this question in verse 5. In verse 5, he asks this question, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? There's an emphasis here that I want us to see. And the emphasis is on that word, what? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? It could so easily have been, who is Apollos? Or who is Paul? They are not a big who. They're not somebody. They are just servants of God. And that's what he's, he's saying. This is what he's underlining to these people. Look, you are making more of us than we should be. You're putting more emphasis on us than there should be. What is Paul? What is Apollos? That they're nothing other than servants who God has happened to use. And God did use them. And praise God that God uses men and women for his own glory. God uses them. It's not them. It's, they're not the big who. And, and so often nowadays, we, we, the, the man of God is trying to be the big who. And he's not. He's a what? What is he? He's a servant of God. And if they can't have that title of what is he, and they need to know who they are, don't follow them. Don't like them on Instagram. Don't listen to their rubbish, because they've got the attitude wrong. They need an attitude like Paul and Apollos here, who are willing to debase themselves and put themselves smaller so that Christ can be raised. And they're just saying, we're just servants. And any increase that happened, any growth that happened, any people that were saved was because God did the work. It's God who is assigned who be used for the salvation of the Corinthians. Paul and Apollos didn't have a staff meeting and a list of people. And said, okay, Apollos, you go after these people and save them. And I'll go after this side of the church and I'll save these people. They didn't do that. They can't do that. It doesn't happen like that. God worked. And God worked in them. And God worked through them. And God, as it says there, to whom you believed 
as the Lord assigned to each. The Lord assigned it. The Lord worked it. And then he goes on, and in verse 6 and 7, he stresses this point, that God gave the growth. I planted, verse 6, Apollos watered, but... What have I said to you before? What will I say to you again? When there's a but in the Bible, we have to look what's going on here, what's happening. Planted, watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or waters is anything. This is the Apostle Paul. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. This is Apollos. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm just planting. I'm just watering. But only God who gives the growth. It's only God that gives it. It's, it's, it's so important that Paul, as he's writing this, labors it twice in the first bit, but God gives the growth. And it almost comes to verse 7, and this isn't strong enough, he's thinking, but only God gives the growth. Nobody can take any credit for the growth. Nobody can take any credit for the salvation. Nobody but God alone. Yes, we need pastors. Yes, you need to read and pray yourself. Yes, you need to be part of a local church. Yes, you need to, with the Lord's help, examine yourself and see if there's any sin getting in the way. But the most important need of us all, and the most important need for us as a church, is for God to give us the growth. Because it's God's church. And it's God's work. And only God can do this. And sadly, so often around the world, churches are not growing. And they're not growing because they're trying to do it themselves. They're trying to do it in their big man. They're trying to do it in their big campaign. And God, as it were, is almost be, I don't know how to imagine it, even if it's right for me to imagine it, but he's almost there in heaven looking down and crying and just saying, if only they would let me do what I do. And they're running around in a frenzy, burning out, causing problems, fighting amongst one another, because it's not working. And it's not working because the only one who can give the growth is God. And that's what the Corinth in church needed. And that's what we need here at LPC. And that's what you need. And maybe now you personally are feeling a little bit broken, because you realize in your life there is sin that's stopping you from growing. And I'm telling you, there's nothing you personally can do about it to change it. But God can. And God will. And God does this through the work of his Holy Spirit. And right now, if the Holy Spirit is prodding you, and if you're feeling sensitive about some dark, deep sin in your life, that's been hidden away, and you've kept it away, but it's there. Or some sin that you're feeding and enjoying, and you're realizing that's what's stopping you from growing. You can delight in the fact that this can change because God is the God who gives the growth. God makes this happen. You see, we can grow and we will grow because we are God's field and God's building. That might not seem very exciting to you, but it is. Let me just unpack that for you for a moment in closing. You see, we think of a field, and you look out there, and you see a field, and go, oh, yes, we see a building, okay. But let's remember who's at the beginning of that. God's field. 
God's building. Friend, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are God's. You've been adopted into his family. You're part of his family. He is looking out for you. He is your heavenly father. And just as he loves the son, he loves you. And just as he's loved the son for all time, he's loved you for all time. And you are underwritten by the fact that you are God's. God's field and God's building. And then the passage here, if we look at it, the original word for field doesn't just mean a physical field, but it means husbandry. It means being cultivated. God wants you to grow. God is the husbandman of the vineyard. He wants you to grow. And similarly with the word building. Building, of course, it means a physical building. We understand that. But there is a deeper meaning here. Because if, if you look into the original world, it also means that it's a, meta, uh, a metaphor for the acting out or the promoting of another's growth. The acting out or the promoting of another's growth. We're God's building. And friend, God wants you to grow spiritually. That's his desire for you. That's his will for you. And so when you pray, your will be done, you're, wanting, you're asking God to make you grow. God wants us to grow. God is wanting us to grow. God is, we're his field and we are his building. And so friends, no matter how dark or desperate you feel your situation to be, no matter how dark and wrong we feel we may have messed up as LPC as a church, we can take a step back and we can realize there is hope for us. And there's hope because we're God's project. We're God's children. And he gives the growth. And he will give the growth because we are God's field and we are God's building. And I'm sure the Corinthians went up through ups and downs, but God grew them. And throughout the centuries, God's church has had ups and downs, but God has grown them. I know us as a church and you as individuals had ups and downs, but God will grow you. 